Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Sasha Fletcher. Sasha's new book is Be Here to Love Me at the End of the World, which is published by our friends at Millville House. Sasha, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. It is an honor to have you here. And Sasha, uh, my first question for you is, how have you been doing these last couple of years under the cloud of COVID-19? It's been a time. It's Mm. been a time. Uh, You know, the the beginning of of lockdown in New York was was a little terrifying. Mm. Uh, Seeing the, like, makeshift morgue trucks was bleak. It was bleak. Yeah. Uh, and then we, we got out and went to go quarantine, uh, with my, my fiance's family mm-hmm. in, uh, in the Western North Carolina for a little. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. by the time we got back here, things had sort of settled outdoor dining had opened up, which was really great. Mm-hmm. And then the vaccine began rolling out. So mm-hmm. recently, I mean, uh, my work has been fully remote, um, go into the office every once in a while there's rarely more than six people in there everyone has to be fully vaccinated mm. we've been going to movies because the nice thing about new york is that you gotta show that you're vaccinated you wear the mask you watch a movie it just it's really been that part at least has been really nice sort of seeing at least this city kind of open up again yeah very good well glad to hear that you spent some time in north carolina thank you sasha um now on to this hey. Yeah, now on to this excellent novel, Be Here to Love Me at the End of the World. Uh, this episode of Bookend, Sasha, probably won't be out for a couple of months or so as we will hold it until the release of your book. Uh, but as we sit here talking in December 2021, I have to say, uh, if it came out this year, this would be my best book of 2021. Um, and I'm almost ready to call it my best book of 2022. Uh, as it comes out in February, but who knows what 2022 will bring. But listeners, this book just has that extra level of something that only truly special books have. Uh, Much of it has to do with the narrator's voice. I cannot praise this book highly enough. Um, I hope I get a signed copy in my hands to show off to everyone next year. But listeners, if I haven't driven this point home well enough, this book is special. It is a special, special book. Uh, Sasha, did you write this book? during the pandemic. Tell us when and how this book was written. Okay, this is a slightly elaborate question. So I got, I have a a background in poetry. I have an Mm -hmm. MFA in poetry from Columbia. I have a BFA in ceramics from Tyler School of Art. Mm -hmm. Go, go owls. Anyway, so I was I used to write fiction and poetry pretty consistently side by side, and I'd written a series of short stories in probably two thousand between two thousand seven two thousand nine mm. that I began to sort of look at again two thousand eleven, and I started just combining ones that felt similar. And in twenty fifteen, uh, in twenty thirteen, I was I'd been laid off from Random House, where I was I was a permalancer proofing audiobooks, and I thought I like I'll I'll just write a I'll write a novel. So I wrote a Western. No one wanted it, which makes sense. It was a, it's a broken book that maybe one day will be whole again, mm-hmm. or if not whole, uh, readable, which I think is important for books for it you is. to actually be able to read them. Yes. Uh, and and I, I, I began to get them into this, this sort of longer story called Warren Beatty is a sad, sad man. 
and uh, it did. It had Sam and Eleanor, and it had a lot of. It had many scenes that are still. Everything in that story is also in the novel. But at the end, they ended up going on a series of bank robberies across the country, and they killed a bunch of cops. They robbed a bunch of banks. They would send the money to Warren Beatty, and mm -hmm. Warren Beatty would use the money to buy up the debt owned by the banks that they robbed and then forgive it. Hmm. And people would ask me what I was working on and I would tell them about this really weird book. And then I would be like, but at the end, this happens. And it got so exhausting to me to think like the only thing anyone's going to remember about this book is like this little thing at the end. So I cut it. I got rid of the thing that was almost the impulse for the entire story in the first place to begin with hmm. it it comes back as like one of the movies they watch. And it kind of also is one of the scenes in the video game that Sam, Sam plays, but it just became a lot easier to write the book when it didn't have anything that was supposed to happen. And mm -hmm. when it could be a book where in order to write it, I simply had to spend time with these people and live their lives alongside them. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, you know, yeah. the last time, yeah, the last time I was in New York, I actually ran into uh, Warren Beatty and Annette Benning in one of the art museums there. And he kind of looked like a cartoon character. Um, I hate to think that he's a sad, sad man, but maybe he is. I don't know. I do. I do. Actually, I just realized I forgot the entire point of what you said, which was mm -hmm. when did I write it during the pandemic? And I would say I started mm -hmm. it in 2016. So it took me four years to write half of it and then it took me four months to write the other half. Mm -hmm. which was all basically May to September during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. wow. I wrote half the book from May to September. And then the day I finished the draft, mm -hmm. my editor at Melville House, Athena Bryan, emailed me because she'd seen that excerpt that was in The Baffler mm -hmm. and asked me if I had a novel. And I did, mm -hmm. but I hadn't read it yet. So I sent it to her after I'd actually read it and figured out if it was worth showing anyone alive. Nice. Well, I'm glad you did. I'm glad it worked out. Thank you very much, Sasha. Uh, friends, this is a good time to mention the Crook's Corner Book Prize, what Pulitzer Prize winner Charles Frazier calls the coolest book prize in the country. Awarded annually for the best debut novel set in the American South, the $5,000 prize is intended to encourage emerging writers, whether published by established publishing houses, small independent publishers, or self-published authors. This year's winner was chosen by best-selling novelist and poet Ron Rash and was announced in January 2022. For more information, visit www.crookscornerbookprize.com. Sasha, back to your novel. Um, it opens in Brooklyn in the wintertime. You write, quote, it's so cold outside that you could execute billionaires in the street and it hasn't even snowed, end quote. Um, first, how cold does it have to be outside to execute billionaires in the street? And second, what does this descriptor tell us both about our narrator and the world we are inhabiting? I'm going to say 29 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. 29 degrees Fahrenheit. It just seems like a good number. Mm. You know, it's, it's cold. It's cold enough that it could snow, but it won't. And, and it brings about nothing but misery and pain. If things are that cold and you can't look at snow or see something beautiful, it just feels like a punishment. Mm. Right. Uh, and as for what the descriptor is meant to make us feel, I would say that uh, it seemed like the easiest way 
to let everyone know what kind of ride they might be in for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I actually read that intro out loud at our staff meeting here at Quail Ridge Books yesterday morning, and it got everyone's attention immediately. Um, well, thank you, Sasha. For our listeners who are unfamiliar with your book and what it's about, could you please introduce us uh, to our two main characters here at the beginning of the novel, Sam and Eleanor? I will. Uh, I'd, I'd be glad to. This is a love story set in a bad dream about America. It features two characters named Sam and Eleanor. The beginning, Sam is uh, partially unemployed, existing solely as a freelancer, trying desperately and in vain every day to get his invoices filled. Mm-hmm. Eleanor has a much better job uh, building websites. They live together in a rent-stabilized apartment in Brooklyn. Sam does most of the cooking. He feels that it's the one way that he can really kind of contribute to the household Mm -hmm. since uh, he either will make enough money to pay rent three times over or will not be paid for several months. It's kind of a really uh, fun way to live if you like stress, your hair falling out, and uh, not sleeping. Mm -hmm. Right on. Thank you, Sasha. As you mentioned, Sam is waiting on several invoices to be paid, he keeps emailing his clients polite reminders, which keep being ignored. Um, Sasha, why doesn't Sam just call or visit these folks and demand payment? It is often very difficult to figure out where some of the people that you uh, freelance for online are. Mm. And caller ID doesn't make it any easier for them to answer a call than it does an email. Mm-hmm. It's also a lot easier to um, mask your rage and frustration in an email mm-hmm. than it is when you're trying to get someone to pay you for something that you've already done for them. Mm-hmm. Right on. Don't mask that rage is what I say. Get your money. Um, all right. Well, thank you, Sasha. Listeners, we are going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor. And then I will be right back with Sasha Fletcher. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Sasha Fletcher, author. Be Here to Love Me at the End of the World, which is published by our friends at Melville House. Already perhaps the best novel of 2022, as I mentioned earlier, even though we're sitting here recording this in December 2021. Sasha, in your novel, the president is telling people that there is a nuclear missile heading for New York. Every day, perpetually, it seems, at least for a little while, um, he's delivering this news. Why tell people that a nuclear missile from a quote-unquote foreign power, may be heading towards New York. What type of mentality is this meant to install in the citizens of New York and the USA at large? I would say, 
<laughs> there are a few answers to this. One is the like the 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 fun political answer of being like, you know, it's it's meant to instill fear, drive up the defense budget, and uh, give New Yorkers just like one more reason to cower. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but beyond that, uh, it was a weird comment that my uh, my agent made to me before I began the last set of rewrites. We sort of wanted to try to get the book to be a little longer and have a sort of running, sort of build up the end of the world narrative a little in the beginning. And I thought that it would be really great to have it be this thing that kind of just fizzles out. And then later, as we get sort of through more and more trauma with like sort of like seeing the seeing the bombings and just having generally terrible things happen, it begins to come up as sort of this theme of like so horrible things happen all the time. And it would be incredible if we could carry them with us and learn and grow from them. But the sheer number of them that stack in day in, day out, like the only survival mechanism is to just like move on and just like fucking forget them. Like we can't, we can't hold on to them. We would collapse and crumble under the weight of it. Mm-hmm. So we just like, we, we just kind of like bear witness for a while. And then later we're like, oh, right, that, that mm-hmm. happened. That was crazy. <laughs> right. Um, thank you. How many rewrites did you have to do on this novel? Once we real technically tech, if you, one sec. So mm-hmm. are we, are we talking after we sold it or are we talking in general to get it to a readable point? Uh, let's hear both answers. So after we sold it, there was kind of just one, if I remember there was like one edit pass and then we had like the line edits and the copy edits and just sort of like the little fights back and forth over stuff that like I, I last minute wanted to change or fix mm-hmm. for my sake. I think that I probably wrote 16 drafts of this. Mm. 16. I would Thank say you. that I probably wrote 16 drafts of this. Thanks. There's a lot of writers that listen to this podcast, so I know that they'll appreciate that answer. Thank you, Sasha. Um, can you explain to me, uh, going back to, to the president for my previous question, can you explain to me how your narrator and your world views this position or concept of president? In this world, it's mm-hmm. a lot easier. I think it's a lot easier to talk about the president as the president exists in this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the world of the book, the president is an official office as such that once you've been the president, you no longer had a previous identity or name. You are only ever remembered as the president. It is the only thing you've ever done. It is the only thing you will have ever amounted to. Mm-hmm. It is an interchangeable office full of people who exist above the American people, looking down on them, watching their dreams. (laughs) Right. Thank you so much, Uh, Sasha. There's a very interesting section in the novel about that. Um, This novel, Sasha, does not shy away from espousing a view on the police, um, at least as the police exist in the world of the novel. Uh, Can you tell us what that view is, how you landed on it, and where it comes from? When I was in high school, I went to a high school that did have uh, police officers stationed in it. And uh, they weren't a lot of fun to be around. They were guys who would 
stare at the chests of 15 year old girls. They would uh, trip kids in the hall they didn't like. They gave me detention for carrying a violin once, which the principal got me out of. He was like, you got a violin, what do you, what is this? Uh, living in New York during, there we go. There we go. Don't arrest me. Speaking method, baby. Yeah. Uh, living in New York during, during Occupy was kind of something that reaffirmed a belief that I didn't realize I'd forgotten, which is that they're agents of the state and they're not actually there to protect you, which is why they hurt you. Mm -hmm. uh, in the book, what happens is the president feels that people have come to not trust the police in the way that they used to do. And so the easiest thing to do when you've got a public that doesn't trust the police is to create a second secret police force so that no one actually knows who the police are so that they can simply arrest anyone at any moment for whatever they need to do. This seems like a much simpler method than making the police friendlier, safer, or uh, interested in your help in the world of the work, in the, in the world of the book. Mm -hmm. Right. Thank you. And listeners, when you heard uh, all of that rustling around a moment ago, I was reaching for a violin case, which just happens to be in my office, not even my violin, but there it is. Um, Sasha, I'm going to replace a word in the uh, question that I just asked you and ask you again. Uh, Sasha, this novel does not shy away from espousing a view on angels, at least in the world of this novel. Uh, can you tell us what this view is, how you landed on it, and where it comes from? I would oh man, so the, the angels in the book, several years ago, uh, Melissa Broder, the, 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 the famed novelist and poet, uh, was running these occasional reading series in Brooklyn. And one of them, she had a theme, she would do these themed readings. And one of them was the seven heavenly virtues and the seven deadly sins. Mm -hmm. And I got temperance and I ended up writing a poem where the angel of temperance sort of comes down, yells at me to just like cool it with all, just all of it. And then angry middle schoolers tear her apart. Mm -hmm. uh, for whatever reason, that got me slowly thinking about angels more and more. That's one thing. The other thing, huge fan of the movie Wings of Desire. I think it's an absolutely incredible movie. It is a moving and breathtaking love story. And it's a contemplation about what the purpose of a sort of a guardian could or should even be. Mm -hmm. After that, during the pandemic, got really into rewatching Neon Genesis Evangelion, which mm. features a completely different concept of what an angel is or could be. In this case, an alien life form that could have been the prevalent one on our planet, mm. but wasn't because of the machinations of man. Uh, in the book, the angels exist as loosely harbingers of the end time. I think is the easiest way to put it. And they're just kind of hanging out, waiting for the end of days. Mm. Additionally, Eleanor, one point, seeing Sam so sad, buys him this video game she hears about wherein you can be there when the angels come. The entire game is sort of set up as this kind of wings. Of, I thought it'd be really funny, like not funny, but actually funny. What would it be like if Wings of Desire was a video game? Mm -hmm. And what would that look like if you were an angel walking around? Like, 
if you were an angel and you wanted to go save someone's life, how much time would it take to understand like whose life needed to be saved and on the path? If you were doing that as a video game to just make it more stressful, what if you could have a running counter of like how many people are dying and losing their lives while you're trying to make a decision? So like you can, it's this insane thing where you have to contemplate loosely what it would be like to be responsible for salvation and redemption. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of this like running motif throughout the game of like, anytime there's a loosely stressful period, Sam ends up just kind of like booting it up and playing it. The game cannot end because angels can't die. So the only way for it to be, the only way for the game to end would be for you to renounce your angelhood. There's probably a much better word for that Mm -hmm. and become what ends up actually being you, and then you live your own life until you die. So in theory, you would actually see the moment of your death. Uh, I have no idea who programmed this. I'm assuming it was the angels themselves. <laughs> yeah, or you could get punted out of your angelhood, a la, you know, John Milton and all that. Um, okay. Yeah, I want to play that game. I hope somebody uh, reads your book and decides they want to design it. Um, well, thank you, Sasha. I want to talk about the narrator of this novel, who may or may not be you, uh, the author. There are a lot of asides uh, from the narrator by the narrator, where the narrator speaks to the reader directly, sometimes even apologizing for doing so. Um, how did you land on this narrator and this voice? Should we assume that it is the author narrating, or is this a Nabokovian narrator, or both? There was a in the draft that I turned in, sort of the one big cut that my editor had was I named myself as the narrator. Mm -hmm. uh, I have no idea whether or not we should have kept it in, but her argument was incredibly sound. Mm -hmm. And I felt a little better just in that I could never, I could never get the passage to like really actually work. Mm -hmm. It just felt too confessional. Mm. But for me, the, the joy of having a narrator that I could like pretend to be is that I didn't have to use characters as mouthpieces because I could just have a mouthpiece. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it meant, it, it meant that I, I ended up writing a political book. I didn't really mean to, when I started, I wanted to write a love story. It's just like, just stuff just kept happening over and over and over again and I kind of couldn't get away from having the world bleed into it and at that point it just made more and more sense to have there be a narrator who was telling you this story mm -hmm. that way I didn't have to worry about like I could tell a slightly non-linear story I could have flashbacks at weird points and I could just have the narrator be like I'm sorry like I forgot that this happened I forgot to tell you about this we can do this now again sorry I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying my best. It seemed like a good way to be like, also, like, if someone didn't like it, be like, like I, I tried, like, I did it, you know, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we'll leave any further discussion on the uh, author narrator issues to literature professors, but um, it's a very, very strong, striking and special voice, as I mentioned earlier. Um, thank, you. Yeah, thank you, Sasha. Finally, uh, and I hate to put a bow on this interview as this book is so, so good, but I want to talk about Sam's tendency to 
focus on making a delicious dinner, for example, uh, when there may be a nuclear missile heading towards his home. Um, and I want to use this to have a broader conversation about your novel and about life in general, which is when the world is ending, what is the way forward? Do you panic? Do you try to step in and change things? Or do you focus on loving the people and things that you love, such as making delicious dinners for your partner? I would say that it ends up being all three, Jason. Yeah. I, I would say that we cannot help at any moment but suffer from stress and panic. Mm. I would say that the easiest solutions to that are an attempt at understanding what can be done about it. And out of that, the one thing that can always be done is to make dinner for your loved ones. And to end the day, every day, in some way trying to share time and space together with them. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sasha. And thank you for writing this wonderful book, which will be one of the best, if not the best, of 2022. Listeners, I've been speaking with Sasha Fletcher, author, Be Here to Love Me at the End of the World, which is published by our friends at Melville House. Sasha, thank you for joining me. You're very welcome, Jason. Once again, I would like to thank Sasha Fletcher for joining me. Copies of Be Here to Love Me at the End of the World can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping for members of Readers Club Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O, K-I-N in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Booking.